Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I've been looking forward to today's conversation for quite some time as we are in the midst of the legislative session here in 2023. And I'm just fascinated by all the conversations that are going on and advocacy for great work and uh, some things that our ESUs are involved in. And so I'm really grateful that we have John Scretta of ESU 6 and Dan Schnoes of ESU 3 and Larry Ann Polk of ESU 7 here to join us today for a conversation uh, about some specific legislation uh, and also really an opportunity to onboard folks. So if you uh, are not familiar with the legislative process, we're going to get into that very quickly from the top and then really focus in on a few bills in particular and kind of break those down and, and uh, talk through them. So thank you all for taking some time to be on the podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to thank be you. here, Andrew. And we'll just go ahead and, and kind of just jump right in then. Uh, John, I'll throw it to you first. In Nebraska, we have a unicameral structure. And for folks that aren't familiar with that, could you give us a little bit of a, just a synopsis of kind of how the government structure runs here in our state? Sure. So I'm John Scretta. I'm the administrator at Educational Service Unit 6. We're headquartered in Milford, work with 16 school districts across parts of five counties in that area of the state. Uh, our unicameral is uh, lovingly referred to by many of us as the Divine 49. There are 49 senators, each with a geographically designated election district that they represent those constituents. They're elected to four-year terms. Currently, senators are limited to two consecutive four-year terms, and then they're term limited out for one round. And we're going to get an opportunity to talk about what's going on this session. And that is going to be very exciting because there are over 800 bills that the senators have proposed in just this session alone. And there are 17 new senators, so lots of folks that we get to know over the course of the session and hopefully develop some great relationships with to support education in Nebraska. Well, and you mentioned there that those bills go before our state senators and part of that process is to get in front of the Ed Committee. And so, Dan, uh, would you give your introduction and also talk about um, how are those folks are selected and uh, what that group consists of and their their role in the process? Sure, Ken, Andrew. Uh... Thanks, everybody. My name is Dan Schnoes. I'm the uh, Educational Service Unit Number 3 Administrator. Uh, we serve 18 districts around the Omaha metro area, and glad to be here today. So, uh, as John mentioned, there's over 800 bills, and there are currently 14 standing committees in the Nebraska legislature, and one of those committees is the Education Committee. The Education Committee is made up of eight members. And the first thing they do is select a chair, and then they start caucusing around the different regions and fulfill the rest of the members. So again, there's eight members with one chair. Let me back up. But each of the committees has a list of subject matter that they have jurisdiction over. And so these 800 bills then are all divided up by the uh, jurisdiction that they would be best served or best heard by the committee members uh, to see if they wanna move forward. The education committee has the jurisdiction of everything that has to do with school districts, both public and private, and any programs within. They also serve uh, and review stuff from post-secondary colleges, universities, community colleges, 
Uh, they look at state aid, which is our TOSA formula, and they also get to review the State Board of Education, which has impact on the Nebraska Department of Ed, which filters down to ESUs and any other educational entities. And so bills are then assigned to these committees and all of the bills that are assigned to the education committee will be heard by that committee sometime as the end of bill introduction ceases and then moving forward until they start getting through the legislative process uh, and narrowing down. And this is one of the long sessions of the education process. So it's gonna be a 90 day session and they're gonna need it all because there's a lot of bills. I would say uh, 800 is quite, quite a lot. So uh, Larry Ann, uh, we'll get your introduction next. And we heard Dan share there a little bit about uh, the step in that larger process that we're currently in. And so maybe following your introduction, if you could tell uh, the listeners a little bit more about the storyline that a bill follows, right? From its introduction to if it were to pass all the way to that step. Sure, I can do that. My name is Larry Ann Polk. I'm the chief administrator of ESU 7. We have 19 school districts in seven counties in and around the Columbus area. I can give you the schoolhouse rock Nebraska version of how a bill becomes a law. First of all, you know, there's an idea. Somebody has an idea and they say, hey, I think this might be a great law for Nebraska. So they pitch that idea to a senator and the senator picks it up and sponsors it. That senator who sponsors that bill then introduces it to the legislature and then it is assigned to a committee as Dan had just mentioned. So occasionally you might think, gosh, that bill seems like it could have fit one of two different kinds of committees, which might be the case, but they pick the one that is going to be best heard so that the most people are going to hear the information about that bill. In Nebraska, as was mentioned, we are a unicameral, so it's not like the federal structure where it might go from the House of Representatives to the Senate. We have one house, one formalized house, that is our unicameral, and then a second house, or sometimes referred as a third house, are the people of Nebraska. So once a bill goes to a committee, it is then heard. That's when the people get to have a, a voice in the lawmaking process. They speak to the, to the committee in proponent stance, opponent stance, or maybe in the neutral position. The committee will accept some written testimony, and we'll talk a little bit later about how you could do that if you're interested. But then from there, uh, the executive committee, the executive session of that committee decides whether or not that bill makes it to the floor. If it makes it to the floor with a majority vote of the committee, that just means that now the 49, those divine 49 get to talk about it on the floor, not just the committee. There are three phases to debate and each debate to move on to the next must have a vote to move them on. So the first is the general file, then it moves on to select file. And then finally it is final reading, which is just that. That is when the bill finally gets its last little hurrah on the floor, uh, and should it pass, then it goes to the governor's desk. At the governor's desk, the bill will either become law by him signing it or it sits there long enough, it becomes law, or the governor can say, you know, it is not in the best interest of Nebraskans the way it is right now. I'm going to veto it, and it goes back to the floor. At that point, if there's enough time left in the legislative session, then the senators get to talk about it again, make some changes. They get to vote again, and should they vote again, it requires a bit more than a majority vote, but that would be called a veto override. And then should that pass, the bill becomes law. Larry, Anna, John. Uh, so if I'm a senator and I'm not really in favor of one of these bills, and I think it's not one of those bills we want to have passed, 
what can I do as a senator? Well, when it's being debated, you can filibuster that bill by talking about a lot of things and really sucking up all that debate time by by discussing something that maybe not might not be specific to that bill. You know, another common strategy, in addition to the filibuster, just to really stall out debate, is, of course, to propose amendments. And amendments are often spoken about when we're talking about the legislative process as friendly amendments, which are designed to strengthen and support the legislative intent of the bill, and unfriendly or hostile amendments, which are actually clever rewordings or phrases that can be put in that basically implode the bill or change its intent, but can be debated on the merits. Well, and for anyone interested, uh, you can watch all of this play out on nebraskapublicmedia.org. And we're going to not only put that link in the show notes, but we'll also have several others and those specific to some of the bills that we're going to get into here next. And so make sure you're checking out the show notes for that. And uh, yeah, that was terrific. Love getting an opportunity to spend a little bit of time to ground everyone in that process. Uh, and so at this time, there are a few bills that we'd like to break down. And so we're going to start with Dan, actually, who's going to talk a little bit about LB48, replacing core service funds. Thank you. Um LB48, it was submitted by Senator Dorn on behalf of the service units. And a little history that comes back. First of all, core service funds in the state of Nebraska are like state aid going to schools. And this provides dollars to ESUs for professional development, for technology, and for some uh, instructional materials. By statute, these are where these funds are supposed to be uh, provided. Over the last 10 years or so, when the economy wasn't doing very well and there was looking at having cuts across the board, our core service funds coming down to ESUs were cut back. And over this period of time, to the tune of about $3 million. And so what we're asking our senator to do is, can we just bring us back up to even with our core service funds? And these are divided across a number of our ESUs so we can provide more and more services. And and that's truly what our school districts are asking us for with all the different uh, things that are going on in the education world. Uh, ESU serve as the gap fillers on a number of those services. Uh, So that's what we're asking is just make us whole again, and then we'll maybe ask for more in the future, who knows. But uh, this is a bill that uh, a similar bill was introduced last session. It did have a hearing in a committee It did not get out of committee, didn't have the support at that time, but with the increase in the federal funds and the dollars that are available, we're hoping for a much better result this time. So it has not been scheduled for a hearing yet, but we're ready to go down and testify. So do my colleagues have anything to add? Yeah, so those core service dollars that Dan had discussed really are intended to support the fundamental purpose of ESUs. So there are there really are three of them to provide staff development to our school districts, to provide technology and infrastructure, and also instructional materials. So those dollars that would go back into the coffers of ESUs would provide us better opportunity to provide more comprehensive support to our school districts in the areas that we are statutorily required to provide. I was just going to add that we appreciate Senator Dorn's support in carrying that bill and really just a shout out to him understanding as a rural senator, 
in Nebraska, the incredible impact that ESUs have in terms of scalable services to multiple districts and the helpful benefits of core service dollars as both Dan and Larry Ann described. And I think just to add too, I think through the uh, times of the last few years with the pandemic, they relied more and more on the service units to carry the load in a lot of areas and keep things moving in a positive direction. And, you know, Nebraska was one of those states that kids weren't home a lot of the time and that we were back in session and our service units were called on to do more and more work with those teachers, uh, working with those kids through uh, distance learning and just doing everything they need to do with recovery of lost learning. And so we th we feel pretty good about this bill. We're pretty positive about it. It's one of the positive bills. We're, we're on the offensive here to try to do more work across the state of Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, another bill that we find to be a nice positive bill for us to support our school districts this year is Senator Albright's LB 638. This is a cybersecurity bill. You know, one of the ways that we can best support our schools is by maximizing efficiencies, using our scale and the size of our scale to best support our schools. School districts are no stranger to uh, cyber attacks. You know, we, we read about cyber attacks on some of our large private companies, but there is such an increase of cyber attacks on schools and educational infrastructure that it has really become a real crisis for us to take a look at, to be prepared for. So Senator Albright has uh, spent a lot of time visiting with us and with, with others about what is it that we can do for schools and is it the school's responsibility? And if it is, how do we help the schools with the resources they need to do it? So. This bill addresses how schools can prepare or prevent certain cyber attacks, how they can mitigate in a situation where there may be one, uh, how we can respond to the crisis and support the schools. And then again, if there happens to be some kind of crisis that occurs in cybersecurity, how can we help the districts recover? You know, we have heard just across the, the border in Iowa, how they had to go through uh, a cyber attack and the school had to be closed because they couldn't access their internet. Uh, we don't want to get into a situation where we're losing instructional time because of some bad guys out there wanting to get into some, some of the information that we have. So this bill would provide the tools that we need to prevent it and also some personnel that we could deploy in and across our service unit regions to our school districts to help either mitigate or recover. Yeah, so to expand upon what Dr. Polk was just describing, this bill, LB 638, again from Senator Albright, it's coming before the Education Committee. That's where it will receive its hearing. We believe it is right down Main Street of what ESUs do and some of what we are the very best at in the state which includes technology and tech infrastructure. And as Larry Ann was describing, it's a multifaceted bill. It addresses prevention, it addresses intervention, it addresses mitigation. And it's one of two cybersecurity bills that are in the legislature this session that have been proposed. There's another one that's going through appropriations. So different committee assignment for that. That's from Senator McDonnell, and that's LB 651. That would all also be positive and beneficial for ESUs. That one attempts to address the needs of all local political subdivisions and governmental entities with, I think it's an 11 or $12 million annual appropriation that's divided between 
some training and some infrastructure efforts. We would uh, certainly want to emphasize Senator Albright's proposal with 638 simply based upon the fact that it denotes the important role that ESUs have. So pretty excited about that. We all have uh, IT departments. We all have people working in this area right now, but we're stretched pretty thin. And we all know that it's it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when this is going to happen. And every one of our school districts is going to be affected by some type of an attack. And some of them are already getting attacked at some point in time. So we're just trying to prevent and prepare uh, so we can lessen any of the damages. I think it's also notable to mention that Senator Albright's uh, 638 bill is is really specific to K-12 education, whereas McDonald's bill is more broadly defined, it addresses all those municipalities, as John had mentioned before. So both really great bills, important for Nebraska. One just zeroes in a little bit more closely to K-12 education. Well, and anyone uh, interested, too, in learning more about what the ESUs ha- have been doing in that cybersecurity space, we have past episodes uh, with Bill Pulte of ESU3, uh, who's had a little space on the pod to talk about some of that work and the importance of it. So feel free to listen into that, should you be interested in learning a little bit more. Uh, moving on to the next one, we're going to talk a little bit about LB516, and I'm going to set up John Scretta for this, where uh, it's going to cover grants for security-related projects to hire school psychs and licensed mental health practitioners. Yeah, so uh, thanks, Andrew. LB 516 has been proposed by Senator Walls. Senator Walls is on the Education Committee and is our former Education Committee Chair and a great supporter, a valiant supporter of K-12 education in Nebraska and also our ESUs and understands the instrumental role that we have. So ESUs are specifically identified in this bill as well. LB 516 has a number of different provisions. The ones that are most immediately impactful regarding the role of service units, of course, would be school psychs and licensed mental health practitioners, LMHPs and school psychs. Throughout the state of Nebraska, our ESUs work very diligently to support and meet the mental and behavioral health needs of our school districts. And we do that oftentimes through expert personnel, such as those in the certification and endorsement areas mentioned, working to provide direct supports and services to students, and in many cases, staff, especially when we think about the comprehensive nature of school-based mental health models. This grant process or program that LB 516 would institute would be administered by the Nebraska Department of Education and would really give us an opportunity to level up and sustain those sort of mental health supports in schools. And in addition, the bill contains other provisions that are very appealing to our schools across Nebraska, which include things like uh, statewide administered through the department, grant funding for school districts to institute enhanced security measures such as video surveillance and secure access, entrance monitoring, et cetera. So lots of stuff in that. Uh, That bill is actually an outcome of the School Safety Task Force, which Senator Walls and former Commissioner of Education, Dr. Bloomstead, were instrumental in forming. So it basically reflects consensus input 
from a whole lot of expert stakeholders in K-12 education about what our biggest school safety needs are. And we know from the ESU level that the more behavioral and mental health supports we're able to offer in sustained ways to our schools, that's really good just in terms of supporting great educational outcomes and also in assuring that our schools are safe places and spaces for learning for everyone. Another bill that's kind of related to that um, thematically and intent is proposed by Senator Fredrickson, and that's LB 527, which again identifies specifically the role of educational service units and would provide additional reimbursements to school districts and ESUs for mental health related expenditures. And I want to note that one in particular because it's got a significant appropriation. It would pledge another $12 million in annual appropriation for eligible reimbursements of those expenses. So those are a couple of great ones to key on in the school safety and mental and behavioral health realms. I'm sure Dr. Polk and Dr. Schnoes may have some additional information on those to share. You know, it's interesting uh, with the school mental health bills that four or five, six years ago, we had a couple of initial bills that we were helping some senators move through the legislative process. But a lot of our senators at that time, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, just weren't very interested and didn't think it was the role of the schools or ESUs to help out uh, with school mental health. And now uh, some of these bills are coming back with a lot more support behind them. And now they're seeing some of the need. And though it would have been nice to have a few of those in place here a few years ago, um, these are are really designed to meet the needs of our kids and our our families and our teachers and our school districts much, much better uh, today. So. Well, I think if you were to have, uh, and we did take a poll of our ESUs and the school-based mental health supports we could provide five years ago, compared to the school-based mental health that we are providing in personnel to our school districts, you know, five years ago, we would not have been able to say every ESU in the state of Nebraska was providing some sort of school-based mental health. Um, but now every service unit, all 17 of us are providing in some fashion, one way or another, support to school districts, teachers, and students, some sort of school-based mental health. And that just really highlights the growing need and how we can respond and be nimble to what the needs of our districts are. And I think those of you outside of Nebraska are listening to, you're, you're going to know this is a national issue. People are talking about this all across the country. And several of the ESUs in Nebraska have uh, received federal grants to help uh, implement some of these school mental health programs in as kind of pilot projects to see, you know, what we need to do. Um, and, you know, it really comes down to why are educational service units getting involved in this area is because our schools are asking us to, and they don't have the resources to do it alone. And so it's just one of those needs 10 years ago. And, and as Larry Ann said, we didn't have that many programs. 10 years ago, we didn't have any. And mm -hmm. uh, now it, uh, over the last couple of years, has become, in many of our superintendent meetings, the number one topic or issue that's being discussed on how they can help kids and families in their districts. 
Well, not to plug the podcast again, but I'm going to plug the podcast again. <laughs> Joe Haney and Liesl Hogan of ESU9 were on not too long ago and had a really nice conversation uh, about some of the work that they're doing in ESU9 region, which is not the same work that's going on everywhere, but there are different you know, supports in that vein that, that are out there in our ESU network. So if you'd like to know a little bit more about one example, we'd point you there maybe as a place to access those conversations and to learn more. Uh, and so from there, yeah. having covered those bills, is there anything, what, what do we have left? Let's see, LB583, is that right? That is right, Andrew. We don't want to neglect to mention LB583. That is actually <laughs> one of a package of bills that have been proposed on behalf of or at the request of the governor as outcomes of a school finance task force or advisory group that he established when he was the governor-elect and drew input from a number of Nebraska school district leaders and school finance experts. And uh, we wanted to mention LB583 in particular. It's being proposed by Senator Sanders, who is on the Education Committee, and it contains two of the most fundamentally important elements of the Pill and Finance Plan. One of those is to institute what historically we would refer to in Nebraska school funding as foundation aid, which means that absolutely every student in the state, regardless of whether their district qualifies for equalization aid in the TOSA formula, would uh, be eligible for $1,500 in funding to that school district annually. So that's one element of it. The bigger element that really impacts ESUs and would result in school districts being able to do even more robust services and supports in the student services realm would be to increase special education reimbursements for eligible expenditures. And Sanders Bill LB583 would bring that up to 80%. And 80% uh, reimbursement rate, I believe we're currently at something like, uh, Dan and Larry Ann can correct me on this or fact check me, something like 42% maybe 42. in terms of reimbursement rates on SPED expenditures. So uh, that obviously has implications for school districts and what they're able to do programmatically, given the scarce funding that they may otherwise be able to commit to special education, knowing that they're only going to be reimbursed for 42 cents on the dollar. If you can bring that up to 80 cents, uh, should help with funding, obviously, over time. And that is stipulated as running as a resource outside of the resource calculation. So it's revenue to school districts that is outside of the calculation in equalization aid that would eventually result in, oh, deteriorating that level of reimbursement that they receive annually. So just wanted to mention that one because it's not the only special education reimbursement proposal to substantially increase special ed reimbursements to schools. There's a couple others. We believe that Senator Sanders 583 as part of the governor's package is one that has a lot of momentum and a lot of interest from school districts right now. There's a couple others too. Yeah, so let me mention a little bit more about that LB 583 with respect to special education. So this is a very intentional way to provide equity in resource allocation back to the schools. So every school district, regardless of size, 
location in the state, whatever it is, every district has students who require specialized instruction. So special education expenses are intended to be above and beyond what any regular developing student might get in the classroom. So if we have a student, I'm going to give you an example. If you have a student who requires additional resources that cost $100,000, this right now, the school district is getting about $42,000 back. What this would allow for an 80% reimbursement would provide 80% or $80,000 back. Now these are resources and expenditures that are above and beyond what is required or necessary for a typically developing student. So it's important to keep in mind that these are specialized instruction needs that you have to qualify for given some laws and rules and every district, every public school district has students with special education. And I think it would be nice to mention that just as a reminder, you know, Nebraska has, I think, 244 school districts in the state and probably you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at least two thirds of them are under a thousand kids in the entire district. And there's many of them that maybe only have three, four, 500 kids in the district. So if a family moves in with some highly special needs kids that needs additional resources and services, sometimes that can really put some harm into that school, that small school district's budget. And then again, a lot of our ESUs are providing uh, special programming out there to do collaboration and cooperation in bringing these kids together in specialized programs to help reduce the cost and make those more efficient. However, uh, it just takes one or two kids to really, um, really mess up a school district's budget coming in. Um, and I say that, I say that it messes up their budget, but we're here to take care of kids. And so they're going to do what they can to fund those. But with this bill or an 80% reimbursement rate, it would certainly help those school districts navigate all those changes in the number of special ed kids that they serve. And I believe, John, doesn't uh, Senator DeBoer has a bill outside of this uh, package of bills that are done on behalf of the governor who would uh, stair-step the approach up to about an 80% but be over a period of time. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I think the other two special education reimbursement bills that are in the unicameral this session are Senator DeBoer's LB 153 which um, is co-signed by Senator Holleran and then Senator Wishart's bill that I think had that laddered increase in reimbursement rates was LB 324 and had its hearing already back on January 30th. And all of those we are very supportive of conceptually for the aforementioned reasons from both Dan and Larry Ann. You know, just to be clear to our listeners, we're supportive of those. The ESUs aren't going to see any money from that. The ESUs, what we can do is better provide the supports that the school districts need so the districts can get the resources that they require. Yep. Good point, Larry. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's a great way to say it. I always think of the ESUs as the master puzzle solvers for our school <laughs> districts when it comes to putting the pieces together in terms of highly specialized personnel in these areas that can provide the supports that our district so uh, finds to be so crucial to meeting student learning needs. Yeah. yeah, and maybe very briefly, we could point folks to the simple site if you're curious at all about the services that our ESUs provide statewide. Uh, Larry Ann, is that something I could put you on the spot for to give us <laughs> just a point people in that direction and what they might sure. find there if, they're, if they are curious, right? Listening into this and wanna know what are some of those services? 
Sure, we have a public facing database where the ESUs are collecting the services they're providing to the schools and um, at some degree as to how much support is being provided to those schools. The website is simple without an E, simpl.esucc.org. And you can go in there and when you go to the public page on the first page, you can select the ESU that you are interested in learning a little bit more about. We'll show you the services that are in their inventory. It would also show you statewide where, where different services are being provided and to what degree. So it's a nice tool to get started. I like to tell anybody who's looking in there, if they're wanting to learn more about what's happening at their service unit, to contact their service unit. And there is a place in there where you can click on the ESUs. You can go to the ESU page and it will give you uh, some demographic information. But absolutely reach out to my colleagues, Dan and John, or any of the other colleagues that are ESU administrators across the state. I know every one of us want to make sure that we're providing whatever information we need to provide to the folks who want to learn more about us. So what can folks expect on the session calendar in the next couple of weeks or so? You know, one of the bills that we're watching, it's actually a legislative resolution. And if we have listeners from other parts of the country, every state board of education, if they even have a state board of education, could be an elected body, could be an appointed body. And then the person that serves as the educational leader could be a, an elected commissioner or an appointed and one of the legislative resolutions that we're monitoring this year is LR24CA, and that would eliminate the current structure we have and move it towards an appointed, well, it actually would eliminate the State Board of Education, which in Nebraska, we have regions that are all elected, and then the State Board of Education selects the Commissioner of Education. Now, why is that important to ESUs? Well, Rule 84 is what we're accredited by, and part of Rule 84 uh, mandates that we get together and do planning sessions with the Nebraska Department of Education, which is associated with the State Board of Education and the Commissioner. And so this becomes a very valuable resource for us. It helps with a lot of statewide initiatives that we're doing. And so we're watching this closely because if there's a huge change in this area, it'll probably change the way we do business with our schools and the communication that we have. And so we're just paying very close attention and we're monitoring the progress of that one. Well, and I think real briefly, since we talked about how a bill becomes a law, what is an LR instead of an LB? LB is legislative bill and LR is a legislative resolution. And that simply just means when it makes it through the whole process, it doesn't become a law. When it makes it through the whole process, it then becomes, you might see it on your ballot at the next general election. So then the people get to vote on that. And as we know, uh, in the past, if something goes through that process and gets approved by the people, any changes in the future requires a vote of the people to make a change because it becomes a constitutional amendment. And so people are real cautious on both sides to, to move in that direction, and they want to make sure they make good decisions. So, Andrew, you, you'd asked about the legislative calendar and what will transpire. Right now, and just speaking broadly, what's happening our bills are being heard on a daily basis by the standing committees that Dan referenced in our introductory remarks. And then those committees will exec, as Larry Ann mentioned, and they'll decide which bills they want to advance to the floor for general debate. And all of this will happen over the course of a 90-day session that if you look at the legislative calendar is actually slated, I believe the last scheduled date 
day 90 would be June 9th. So there's several months ahead yet of all kinds of legislative action, and it'll be a fascinating process to kind of watch it unfold. And we appreciate the interest of folks in, in tracking and monitoring those education issues. And we just want to do everything we can to be strong and articulate advocates to support the needs of our school districts. You know, if, if anyone listening in Nebraska wants to provide comment to any of the legislative hearings that there might be, any of the bills that are going to be heard, Nebraska's legislature have, have made it much easier for folks to put in written testimony. And again, I think if there's any message that I hope that folks understand from this is that, you know, the, the senators and the governor are citizens of Nebraska first. They're your neighbor. They're the t-ball coach. You know, you might see them at Walmart. They're just people. So it's important if you can get your comments to these senators, they appreciate them from the general public probably more than they appreciate them from us because you are the general public. So go to the Nebraska's unicameral website. Along the left-hand side, you can click on calendars. When you click on calendars, it'll pull up the calendar of the month that we might happen to be in, find the date that you're interested in, and click on hearings and see my, what might be on there. Look ahead at what's coming up in the next week or two, and you can see which committees are hearing what. And you can click right from that. When you click on that link on the calendar, right there in the hearing notice, you can click on provide written testimony. So it's just really important, very easy. And if you have things to say, they will hear you and they will take that those information and those comments into consideration when they go into executive session. For those folks who are interested in just trying to keep up the news cycle around legislative matters in the Nebraska unicameral is always fast and furious during session. Uh, one good way to do that is to access the always helpful unicameral update. Uh, the unicameral's clerk of the legislature, their information office has been publishing this since something like 1977. And it's right there. There's a link to it right off the Nebraska legislature's legislature.ne.gov website. And we can actually subscribe to email updates. And that's a really good way to just kind of stay on top of what's happening without feeling like you've got to read verbatim every word of the 800 proposed bills. It's a lower bar to clear. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, John, I really appreciate that because as someone who is just trying to learn more all the time about what's going on and to help, uh, as Larry Ann mentioned, you know, be an advocate and thinking about ways in which to enhance our conversations, uh, our understanding of what's going on, and then bringing people together around those things that are going to be best for educators, for kids, and, and for learning. And so uh, thank you all for taking some time to advocate for all of that, not only today, but every day. I mean, we asked you out here because I know this is something that you all have invested quite a bit of time, effort, and energy into. And so there are going to be a million links in the show notes. I'm going to do my best to organize those as we can, uh, but you can certainly find all the bills. I'll have uh, the main page for Nebraska legislature, uh, the link to nebraskapublicmedia.org where you can go and watch, and we'll find that unicameral update link as well. Any parting words, I guess, before we bring things to a close? Thank you so much Thank for putting you. this together. I think it's it's good information to share. Yep. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, certainly appreciate having you. you all on, and we'll be back uh, hopefully in the future with 
updates. Uh, this is a long session, so hopefully we can uh, get some folks back to uh, share out as as it unfolds. Thank you.